Broadcasting. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, welcoming you back to the broadcast and thanking you for tuning in, as always. And for those of you who don't know out there, the Corbett Report is dedicated to a lot of different tasks, and one of them is listening to the enemy. That is, listening in on enemy communique by the globalists uh, that are absolutely, totally publicly available. There are all sorts of conferences and talks and papers and strategy uh, sessions that are published and completely out there in the open that are published on an ongoing basis that uh, that really reveal some interesting ins- insights into the globalist superclass minions that uh, David Rothkopf writes about that are seeking to rule our planet. And once again, they conspire quite openly. As H.G. Uh, Wells wrote, it is an open conspiracy. There's nothing secretive and shadowy about it. They write quite openly about what they want to do. So one of the things that I like to do on CorbettReport.com is keep my ear to the ground for interesting pieces that are coming out of some of these globalist think tanks, etc. And on that note, uh, people who are listeners to my podcast will know I recently had, uh, just last Saturday, an episode of the podcast called Still Listening to the Enemy, a follow-up to an earlier uh, podcast where we were listening to such people as uh, David Rockefeller and David Rothkopf and Henry Kissinger and many others besides listening in on what they're talking about and what's concerning them these days. And as a response to that uh, that episode of the podcast, I got some interesting emails, some interesting tips uh, from some of the listeners out there. So once again, let me thank everyone who uses the contact form on CorbettReport.com to send in your ideas, your tips, your suggestions, your questions, all of that. It's much appreciated. But as I'm receiving upwards of 100 emails a day now from people who are seeking one form of response or another, I hope people out there can appreciate I physically do not have time to reply to everyone. So once again, my sincere apologies if you don't get a reply or don't get much of a reply. I just physically can't take a look at everything that's coming in, but I do certainly try to look it over and see what's see what I can respond to. And, uh, and on that note, a couple of very interesting things I got in the last couple of days. One is a link to a RAND Corporation document, and for those of you out there who don't know about the RAND Corporation and its history, there is a previous episode of my podcast called The RAND Corporation Exposed that I would direct your attention to. But uh, the RAND Corporation recently put out a document about uh, insurgency, which is particularly interesting given what's going on, well, all over the world, but of course in places like Syria. This is called The Future of Irregular Warfare, and I'll put a link in the show notes to tonight's episode, but interestingly enough, it starts with uh, this little paragraph. Over the next decade, the United States will likely face a range of irregular warfare challenges. They include threats from non-state actors like terrorist groups, such as Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah, drug trafficking organizations, such as Mexican cartels, and violent global activists, such as anarchist groups. The United States will also face threats from states that generate irregular warfare challenges purposefully, such as Iran, and from those who do so inadvertently because of weak governance, such as instability in Mexico. These threats are increasingly networked, adaptable, and empowered by cyberspace to find new ways to recruit, collect intelligence, train, distribute, propaganda, finance, and operate. So there you go, in Rand Corporation's very own words, and of course what Rand Corporation tends to write about uh, becomes law soon enough and becomes official government policy soon enough. So they're worrying about this irregular warfare threats uh, from all these uh, fake puppets that they've created over the years, the the terrorist boogeyman threat that they've created and the uh, the Mexican drug cartels that they're 
feeding guns to illegally across the border and the violent global activists that uh, they're they're funding the uh, the black bloc who come along and break windows at every uh, major global meeting so that they have a chance to crack down on the uh, the activity activities well they're 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 funding them they're creating all these groups and now they're going to provide the solutions so I would suggest you look into this document. We'll come back more with this and also your calls, 1-800-313-9443, anything you want to talk about here on Corbett Report Radio. Broadcast friends, I am James Corbett, your resident truth ninja here in Western Japan, and coming to you tonight, as every night, from my palatial home recording studios, where it is already the 13th of April, Friday afternoon here. So once again, thank you for tuning in tonight as we uh, go through some headlines and some things that are making news around the world in preparation for James Evan Pilato, our good friend and the host and webmaster of foodworldorder.com. And he'll be joining us in the second half of the program, as always, here on Thursday nights. So, once again, the phone lines are wide open. Anything that you'd like to talk about tonight, 1-800-313-9443. And uh, that will get you up and on the air. But we're sitting here going through this interesting RAND Corporation document that one of the listeners emailed in to me that I think is worth noting, and I hope you will go and check it out. Once again, it's called The Future of Irregular Warfare talking about the irregular warfare challenges that the United States is likely to face in the future as conventional warfare becomes less and less prevalent, as there's no longer any just lining pieces up on a field and uh, putting them against each other like in conventional war. Now it's uh, insurgencies and counterterrorism strategies, etc. So this document goes through that. It's a pretty concise document. It's only 12 pages, so it's certainly readable. And it's interesting to at least uh, take a look at some of the, uh, the graphics that they include, including uh, Figure 1, potential areas impacted by Al-Qaeda and its affiliates, where they have on the uh, map of the world, well, really just the map of the Eastern Hemisphere, they have uh, just this black area that indicates the potential areas where Al-Qaeda can or will be operating in the future. And it's uh, pretty striking. It pretty much follows an east-west line. It, uh, it starts in the western part of North Africa and goes clear across through the Middle East and lands right in China. So there you go. It's uh, it's almost like there's a, a coordinated uh, plan going on to, to destabilize governments all along that arc in order to put the U.S. forces in play in each of those places. And, of course, we saw Libya last year in North Africa and Egypt, of course, in North Africa. Now we're seeing Syria, and uh, next, obviously, Iran is uh, next on the chopping block, and then they can just move their way over to China, as we've been talking about for a long time here. So th there it is, right here in this Rand Corporation document. And uh, another interesting figure, they, they're talking about global IP traffic in 2010 to 2015 and how it's going to increase by uh, a, a huge percentage. Um, and basically, they're, they're figuring this as a type of challenge or threat to U.S. hegemony because it's going to be increasing in places like Latin America and the Middle East and Africa. So these savages are going to be getting the Internet. Of course, the Internet is just one big wiretap system, so that actually kind of works out for the U.S., but Rand, for some reason, decides not to mention that. And then finally, they're also talking about insurgencies, and interestingly enough, it actually says here in plain black and white, the United States may be involved in supporting insurgent groups and will likely have to choose between one of two strategies. And they talk about the Maoist insurgent strategy and the conventional insurgent strategy, basically the idea of funding proxies to do your dirty work versus the idea of actually just going in there and uh, doing the dirty work itself. 
and uh and it's extremely interesting to uh, to read about this and uh how they're just talking openly now about how they have to fund insurgencies like exactly what is happening in Syria right now as the free Syrian army so called is uh this supposedly spontaneous uprising of Syrians that just happens to be getting huge amounts of funding and arms and training and equipment from the west and now that's openly on the record after the latest Friends of Syria meeting where they're now pumping in millions of dollars a month into this uh, fighting rebel group. And uh, and now they're trying to say that it's Assad's fault that the peace deal isn't coming coming about because he's not uh, basically giving up and, uh, I guess, taking all his troops into, into homes uh, or out of homes. I mean, it's... It's interesting to think about what they're actually asking to happen and what they actually expect to happen. But again, an interesting document, so thank you to the listener for sending that in. I hope you will check it out. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. Another one that I wanted to highlight was an interesting C-SPAN Brookings Institute video. It's a, uh, it's a video of a conference that the Brookings Institute put on about drone surveillance, and it's an hour and a half long. I've only had the chance to watch the opening couple of minutes. I haven't watched it myself, but it promises to be extremely interesting as they're talking about the very little-noticed story that the FAA, Congress has given the FAA the responsibility to start regulating uh, drones, drone technology in the U.S., including commercial drone technology, so real estate companies and whoever else will be uh, flying their own drones in the U.S. air soon enough, and the FAA will be regulating that, and they're talking about drone surveillance, law enforcement surveillance drones and things like this, and the challenges and uh, and possibilities that this presents. And once again, they, uh, these types of con- conferences and papers are published all the time, and they're, they talk quite openly about what's going on. You'll never read about this in the pages of the newspaper or, you know, you hear about it on on the news, so it's important for us to keep our eye out for things like this. So once again, all such tri- tips are appreciated, and you can send them in to CorbettReport.com via the contact form. But we have uh, one caller waiting on the line, and uh, there's still plenty of time for other people to get in if you want to talk tonight, 1-800-313-9443. But let's go to the phones. Let's go to Bill in Idaho. So, Bill, thank you for your call tonight. Well, thank you so very much. Excellent, as usual, Mr. C. It's just absolutely amazing the amount of work analysis that uh, the broadcasters on this station uh, get accomplished in such a short period of time. I was, uh, you know, uh, thinking along the same lines. And uh, for those that are out there, possibly they could uh, help out and uh, bring more of these stories to the fore. I'm not so sure that there isn't a white and black going on here. You know, uh, we, uh, as a group, is the first time we've ever had to fight an intel war in the open, certainly at a civilian level. And uh, that means everybody participating and keeping their eyes and ears to the ground. It happened for the Haganah, which ultimately became the Mossad. And I know that a lot of people don't even begin to understand or appreciate how desperate this situation is and how far advanced the enemy ultimately has become. Uh, I was going to mention a BBC set of stories that came out uh, just the other night. I don't know whether you were able to uh, pick up on Steve Swerdlow, Swerdlow over in uh, the Middle East since they lost the air cover into the uh, uh, Afghanistan and uh, Iraq uh, theater. You know, it all goes by ground now. So 
by uh, Abbas by John and Kazakhstan. Uh, and there's just absolutely tragic discussion on BBC the other night in regard to uh, forced sterilization and eugenics that's going on. Steve Swerdlow was mentioned more than once, I believe, and uh, is trying to uh, draw attention to the situation. But as usual, you know, the small patriot community that's trying to get so many other issues and not get distracted by, you know, everything else going on. But, uh, Absolutely. Well, well. Just for the listeners out there, I'm I'm looking at a story right now. I hadn't seen it before, but it's uh, about Uzbekistan's policy of secretly sterilizing women, and it just came out uh, just yesterday on BBC News. So I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Exactly. Well, you got to assume it would be one quarter in by virtue of the Peshawar not being available for transport. So necessarily, it could be one. It could be three. It could be five. Considering very serious these little Zionazi war criminals are in regard to uh, world depopulation, if not eugenics. Uh, the other area was uh, that uh, story in regard to uh, Kovac over in England. Uh, he was a journalist, uh, much like uh, so many other people that are opposing evil at every opportunity they can, and he got caught over that G8 Garner got beat to death by the thugs, and, uh, you know, he's thinking about evacuating to Australia because he's not so sure uh, the prospects in England. And so, necessarily, hopefully the audience and the families that are involved in this effort will keep all of these things in prayer. I think Second uh, Corinthians 7.14 comes to mind most readily as being the most logical one, but, um, you know, your efforts in regard to what's going on is, uh, uh, Lai, uh, the governor of, uh, uh, Nanjing, I believe, over in China. It almost sounds like they're listening and patterning exactly what's been successful. We lost Edgar Steele to a very, very well orchestrated multi-agency, but of course FBI right there at the very top of the, uh, the list uh, here in uh, Idaho by virtue of a sleeping, uh, uninvolved, unwashed, uncaring Christian community that would allow a wonderful patriot and a wonderful writer uh, and a, uh attorney to be uh, smeared in the press and then thrown into jail. And this is with, of course, three sheriffs looking on at the time, all three wanting to be reelected, and one of them over in Spokane, wishing to uh, be not only sheriff, but police chief, of course. And, and once again, for the listeners who aren't aware of this story, what's the name of this attorney? This is Edgar Steele, free-edgar-steele.com. Edgar Steele has uh, uh, noted history of uh, representing and very successfully the damned. And uh, for that, and thanks for that, uh, you know, this community just turned their back. And these are all good Christians, of course. They're 501c3 Christians, but nonetheless good Christians. And they would allow that to occur in their very community. All the while, the FBI had uh, gone in and uh, stolen uh, his family's legacy in silver, of course, uh, basically armed robbery, and now leaves his wife totally destitute and uh, uh, totally at... Uh, uh, the risk of, uh, uh, you know, uh, a world that's obviously not paying attention. 
but uh, well, well, exactly right. I mean, I, I don't know about that story in particular, and I'll take a look at that for edgarsteel.com. But uh, but certainly, I think you're exactly right that this is an intel war, and that we're being bombarded with information from all sides. Some of which is obviously propaganda, some of it's disinformation, and I think our strength is the fact there are so many of us out there doing this work and taking a look at it for ourselves that uh, they can dupe some of us some of the time but not all of us all of the time but on that note we'll take a short break we'll be right back with more corporate report radio right after these messages Welcome back to Corporate Report Radio. We're here on this Thursday evening going over the headlines in preparation for Food World Order, our weekly visit with James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com in the second half of the broadcast. But before we get to that, we're taking a look at some things that are going on around the world right now and, of course, in, in your own backyard there in the United States of America. And this really, really quite disturbing report in a lot of ways, uh, just out from Huffington Post, Cashless Society... 43% of Americans have gone a week without cash. And it goes on to say, could you go a week without spending cash? 43% of Americans have, according to a Rasmussen survey released on Wednesday. The convenience of using a credit or debit card apparently is ruling consumer preferences. But while leaving the house without cash may be convenient, paying with plastic can end up costing you. We tend to spend more money when we buy things with a credit or a debit card instead of cash since our pur purchases become more divorced from the notion of how much they really are costing us. Now, this is obviously not the only uh, warning sign about cashless society and what it really means, but it is an interesting little piece that just goes to highlight just some of the, uh, the real dangers of a cashless society. And, of course, the further we do get uh, divorced from the notion that we are actually spending money, the uh, more likely we are to spend. And again, that's a scientifically proven fact. That's not just baseless speculation. So uh, so it is extremely important to watch as the PR rollout for the cashless society begins to take place and begins to uh, pick up the pace and, and really increase. And I think we're going to be seeing more and more of this. And even some of these bad stories still, in a way, put the inevitability of the coming cashless society in our head as if there's nothing we can do about it. It's just the way of the future. And now 43% of Americans have gone at least one week without using cash at all, which is a, a pretty scary idea, really, when we start moving towards this. And uh, and as I say, I think this uh, this PR campaign is starting at a younger and younger age. A few years ago, we saw uh, Monopoly and other children's games starting to come out with the uh, plastic-only versions, where you don't have little pieces of uh, Monopoly money anymore. Now you've got these Monopoly cards, plastic cards, Visa-branded cards, no less, that uh, that the kids can use, and the banker just swipes it through his little machine instead of actually using cash. What a great idea. I mean, who wants to use cash when you're playing Monopoly? And it's these little pieces of indoctrination that get put in there, and, uh, and obviously on their own it doesn't mean that much, and it's not the end of the world, but when we're starting to indoctrinate our children in this and steep them in this, uh, that, I think that's genuinely scary, but... Um, but, of course, it's all just along the path of coming up with that society where everything you do will be directly tracked and databased, and there will be records of everything you purchase, the exact time you purchased it, and uh, and all of that will be kept in databases that uh, that more and more openly are being announced. And we were just covering this, uh, myself and James M. Pilato, uh, we're just covering this on New World next week, a few years ago, about Swedish uh, cities 
that are basically start, starting to get off of cash altogether. The public buses won't even accept cash. So uh, if all if all you have is a pocket full of change or even you know large amounts of uh, money, you're still not going to be able to ride a bus in some of those Swedish cities. And it's coming to a town near you. I mean, just because it's happening in Sweden now doesn't mean it's not going to be on your doorstep soon enough. And on that very note, a very, very interesting development from my home and native land of Canada. Earlier this week, the Toronto Star had an article, Royal Canadian Mint to Create Digital Currency. And it says the Royal Canadian Mint wants to get rid of pocket change, and it's enlisting hacker types for help. Less than a week after the government announced the penny's impending death, the Mint quietly unveiled its digital currency called Mintchip. Still in the research and development phase, Mintchip will ultimately let people each uh, pay each other directly using star- smartphones, USB sticks, computers, tablets, and clouds. The digital currency will be anonymous and good for small transactions, just like cash, the Mint says. To make sure its technology meets the gold standard in a world where digital te- transactions are gaining steam, the Mint is holding a contest for software developers to create applications using the Mint chip. The old-fashioned prize? Solid gold wafers and coins worth about $50,000. So if you're uh, if you're an elite hacker out there and you want to get test uh, put your chops to the test by creating a Mint chip application and winning $50,000 and helping enslave the world in the cashless society enslavement grid where everything we do is tracked and traced. Well, go, go right ahead. Of course, they're saying there, uh, it's bizarre to me that they're saying this is good. This is going to be a, a digital currency that will be anonymous and good for small transactions. Yes, I'm sure this digital currency where everyone's paying on their smartphones and, and which are, of course, just walking databases, basically, that, uh, that we, that can and we know are being scooped up by police officers at every available opportunity. I'm sure this will be anonymous. Of course, that's, uh, that's a pipe dream. And as people like, uh, um, the proprietor of Crypt, Crypt, Cryptome, not Cryptogon, Cryptome, uh, has talked about uh, John Young. He says basically the idea of an o- anonymity online is a pipe dream. There's just basically nothing you can do online to be 100% anonymous. And I tend to agree with him. I've looked at lots of different alternatives, and uh, I just don't think there is a way to to really implement total anonymity online, at least not in the stage we're at. And uh, to think otherwise is a bit of a dream. So this uh, digital currency that they're trying to roll out in Canada after they've announced they're stopping minting pennies, there will be no more one-cent coins in the in Canada. Uh, it's it's all just a big uh, social experiment, and uh, it's interesting Canada's uh, been a, a bit of ahead, of ahead of the curve as Americans uh, tend to cling on to their cash a little bit more and, and all the power to them. But Canada has gotten rid of the $1 bill and the $2 bill and... They're starting to phase out the penny now and uh, bring in this mint chip, so we'll see where that goes. At any rate, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be right back with James Evan Pilato of FoodWorldOrder.com, so don't touch that dial. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth. Welcome back 
Welcome back, friends. We are here on Corporate Report Radio on this Thursday night edition of the broadcast, and it is the second half of the broadcast, which can only mean one thing, and I certainly hope you brought your appetite to the table tonight because we are ready for Food World Order with our good friend James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com, and as I understand, he's ready and waiting on the line. So, James, great to have you here once again tonight. I am here. I am on the line, and I thought you were going to say, I hope you brought your appetite because we're going to ruin it, but hopefully that's not going <laughs> be the case. It, it tends to be the case in these conversations, doesn't it? So I have one to add for listening to The Enemy. One of my favorite ways is I subscribe to the Council on Foreign Relations podcast, and they send out, should actually sometimes kind of be prepared for it because you can get pretty large video files coming down your iTunes. But I got one just the other day, U.S. Educational Reform and National Security, put on by the fine folks of News Corp, Stanford University, and more. And, of course, there's a book that you can buy to go along with it. But there's a, you know, hour-plus-long video, you know, equating education reform and, and national security. And, again, it's it's Condoleezza Rice and, and News Corp. So they have our our best interests at heart. Oh, of course. I mean, all they want is to educate the young of today so that they grow up to be big, strong, healthy, capable, independent adults of the future, right? That's exactly right. Now, I'll even, I'll bet you one uh, American dollar here that uh, that's probably not how it's going to go. <laughs> I'll bet you one Canadian mint chip that it uh, <laughs> it definitely isn't. So, James, let's let's at least start our food world order coverage on on somewhat of a, a, a bright note as it'll get worse unfortunately as we go it's always darkest before the dawn as the cliche goes but from the new york times huge rooftop farm is set for brooklyn brooklyn fast becoming the borough of farms last thursday bright farms a private company that develops greenhouses announced plans to create a, a sprawling greenhouse on a roof in sunset park that is expected to yield a million pounds of produce a year without using any dirt. The hydroponic greenhouse at a former Navy warehouse that the city's Economic Development Corporation acquired last year will occupy up to 100,000 square feet of rooftop space. Construction is supposed to start in the fall with the first harvest expected next spring, 2013. When finished, the greenhouse will rank as the largest rooftop farm in the United States and possibly the world. This spring, Brooklyn Grange, another rooftop farm developer, is set to open a 45,000-square-foot commercial operation at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So aside from those sinister connections to the military, perhaps we're actually turning those into something for life rather than something for death. Well, I mean, it's a, it's not a bad idea, and uh, maybe we don't like those connections, but at any rate, it's an idea that hopefully other people and other companies can start taking up, because it's an idea whose time has come. Occupy the public spaces and start using it to grow things. What a revolutionary concept. I know. Again, I think we've joked many, many times that you end up having to come back around to the most simple, obvious, beneficial thing that we used to do in the first place. You have to make it all the way back around and go, oh, that's right. James, I know you, you, you just want to talk about the Enviro Pig, right? Enviro Pig, Enviro Pig. Does whatever an Enviro Pig can. GE Enviro Pig Project stops their research. This from civileats.com. The University of, is it 
Guelph, James? Is it pronounced like yes. it, it looks? Yes, Guelph. University of Guelph, the Canadian university that, that developed the genetically engineered Enviro pig, announced it's closing down its research. The Center for Food Safety is now calling on the U.S. FDA to stop any work on approving the GE pig. The Center for Food Safety has criticized the developers of the Enviro pig for engineering an animal specifically to fit into large-scale and highly polluting concentrated animal feeding operations. That's CAFO, C-A-F-O's concentrated animal feeding operations. We hide a lot of our our actions, and George Carlin talked about this in, in our euphemistic language and our acronyms. But the CFS has also criticized the genetically engineered Aqua Advantage salmon developed by Aqua Bounty Incorporated, which is also under review by the FDA, which was similarly engineered to grow better in the confined tanks of industrial fish farming operations. There's a lot of green lipstick on this pig, said Andrew Kimbrell, executive director for the Center for Food Safety. The whole idea of genetically engineering a pig to fit into an unsustainable production model and then dubbing it Enviro is ridiculous. Given recent industry and consumer backlash, it's no surprise that funding for this misguided research has dried up. And there's more from GuelphMercury.com and Aqua Bounty and, oh, Ontario Pork. Well, I'm going to confess that I've heard about this EnviroPig project before, but I haven't been following it or, or looking at the details. So I'm a bit confused here because the University of Guelph was developing this EnviroPig. They're shutting down the research. So why would the Food and Drug Administration still be working on approving it? That I could not answer for you. But perhaps it is within some of the links and some of the supplemental information here. And I'll I'll admit to you as well. My man posted this on foodworldorder.com. Adam, actually, who's out of Canada. Well, there you go. It's a it's a bizarre story, and of course, it just goes to show what these GMO monstrosities are going to be all about, which is not actually uh, trying to make the world a better place, as they say, but just to basically adapt things so that they can live in the most squalid and terrible conditions imaginable, and then we'll put them through it, and then we'll eat it up. So um, so unfortunately, that's pretty much the game plan for these monstrosities. I guess it's good to hear that the uh, the research project is being shut down, but that it's uh, the, the approval is still going ahead is kind of bizarre. And and as we know on on more geopolitical levels, of course, we're we're all working on harmonizing our, our trade and, and such between the three North American community nations, right? What happens in one is happening in the other soon enough. Mm-hmm. So, James, here's a couple of threat stories. Monsanto threatens to sue Vermont if legislators pass a bill requiring GMO food to be labeled. And as Alternate.org puts it, the world's most hated corporation is added again, this time in Vermont. And I, I can't even remember off the top of my head. I was just having a conversation with my girlfriend the other day about just the the hypocrisy of things that are allowed out there in the world by the state, but then we're not even allowed to know the the created things that we're eating, and God knows what they're going to do. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it's bizarre to me to think that they even can sue for the uh, the threat of actually labeling GMO foods. But uh, unfortunately, that's the system you're living in, and it has to be fought against. I just like the fact that the uh, the article opens by saying that Monsanto is the world's most hated corporation, <laughs> which uh, I'm not sure if it's the most hated, but it certainly must be up there. 
It, it, I would think so. And, you know, we, we discussed when I think it was Forbes named them as one of the best companies of the yeah. year. <laughs> I almost forgot about that, but that is back in the archives of New World next week, isn't it? So the other threat story from Natural News takes us to New Zealand. Proposed natural health products bill in New Zealand would fine individuals 50000 for making a cup of unapproved herbal tea. This is Senate Bill 510. And exactly, you know, as, as we see it in one place, we'll see it kind of mirrored in another. And it is, it's the, it's the main, you know, it's the main kind of crown countries. And that's the U.S. and Canada and Australia and, and the U.K. Exactly right. Just like Echelon was the uh, spying system that was in exactly those countries. And they also work together on things like this. And of course, this is what we've been seeing going on in America for some time now, all this food safety legislation, which is really about shutting down farms and stopping people from doing things. And, uh, and this particular story looks like it nexus is in with, uh, with the WHO's uh, Codex Elementarius, doesn't it? Trying to stop people from Daring to make their own herbal teas. Oh my God! You must be fined fifty thousand dollars for that. Uh huh. Uh huh. And and we recall. I, I I dug it up a couple of months ago on on Media Monarchy, playing a, a several several years old commercial that had Mel Gibson in it, basically about the SWAT team breaking down his door, and he finally says, "Oh, you know, calm down, fellas. It's you know, it's just vitamins." It goes on to say, you know. The United Nations is pushing this bill. And I, I recall maybe seeing it on actual television once or twice, but now it just kind of lives on in YouTube. And, and, of course, anytime we see the suspicious Mel Gibson character, we always kind of wonder what's going on. But Well, yes, there's lots to be said there, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, but absolutely, I think it is part of a, a demonstrable coordinated agenda, and for people who haven't looked into the actual documents of Codex Elementarius, this might be a good time to do so, because I think this this story gives a, at least a glimpse into the type of future they want to have, where everything that uh, that you have in your in your kitchen and in your cabinets is going to be regulated, uh, not just at the national level, although that's where it'll be distributed, or where the regulations will be enforced, but it's really coming from on high, from the UN and from uh, the globalists who are seeking to control everything. And as we know from cyberspace war, of course, our refrigerators will all you know, rat us out as they'll be connected to the Internet of Things. It's a nightmare future that I don't even like to think about, but unfortunately we have to. And yes, pretty soon there will be nowhere to hide because everything will be nexused into that Internet of Things and they'll know everything that you have on you at all times. And uh, we have to avoid this. We have to stop going down this road. James, uh, a couple of other stories. One from foodsafetynews.com. Debate heats up over poultry inspection proposal. And I'll just kind of mention on my Twitter feed, at Media Monarchy, you can use hashtag food world order, and I highly recommend other folks do it. I think it's a, it's a great tag, and it's, it's a way to kind of spread this information around. And I have food safety news auto, you know, anytime they post something, it automatically goes out on my Twitter feed. And another story, James, that we've tracked off and on throughout the weeks and months, and again from naturalnews.com, EPA-approved GMO insecticide responsible for killing off bees and contaminating the entire food chain. You know, I think just the other day, as it's finally, you know, spring is starting to spring up here in the Pacific Northwest, 
sitting outside work the other day as, you know, the, the bugs have, they've also kind of hatched and the joke was made that, you know, ah, oh, mosquitoes, you know, I hate them. And of course, you know, the eugenicists kill all the bees, but we're left with mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, funny how that works. And of course, they do all the spraying programs in many cities for the mosquitoes specifically. But uh, but I'm sure that's all for the public good as well. But uh, but absolutely, this is such a disturbing story. And I hadn't actually seen the actual uh, the actual study here, and you've got it linked up in the notes. So I certainly hope people will take a look at this and uh, and take a look at uh, what what is being done right quite out in the open uh, now, just absolutely horrific. And as that article that you you linked to there goes on to say, I mean, basically this could go all the way up the food supply. This could lead to the destruction, a catastrophic chain reaction in the food supply. We already know the bees are dying, so the first domino in that, pe- that set has already fallen. And, uh, well, some pretty scary stuff. It, it's even kind of a strange feeling when you're outside and you see a bee you know, whatever kind of bee it is, you kind of see it and go, oh, a bee, I, I remember those. But, and then it's, it's already kind of there. It's already, you kind of, as, as we've noted before, we absorb a lot and we've been bred that way with our conditioning and our schooling, which of course, as we noted at the top with CFRs related directly to national security, but we've been, we've been trained to absorb all these, you know, bits of order out of chaos to kind of keep hurting us along. And we just kind of take it on and go, oh, yeah, that's right, the bees are all gone. Yeah, it's it's absolutely, it's not funny, but um, it's funny, not ha-ha, that how quickly we can become acclimatized to uh, to things like this and the just wholesale destruction of vast swaths of the biosphere. And that doesn't bode well for, uh, for us going down the road as, unfortunately, these changes are likely to become more and more serious as more and more of these monstrosities are rolled out from bare crop science and the other biotech companies that like to hide behind, once again, as Carlin would note, a nice euphemism for genetic tinkering and uh, their monstrosities. And I was going to mention, when you mentioned Codex Alimentarius, that I, I always end up referencing a, an article on farmwars.info, and I believe you actually talked to Barb Peterson recently of farmwars.info, who, who's also right here in Oregon, right? That's right, yep. And uh, I I would once again direct people to your earlier conversation with her on Meaning Monarchy. And there's an article that basically connects and lays out the connections from the people and the paperwork from, you know, the, the Nazis to the United Nations to Agenda 21 to Monsanto to Codex Alimentarius, and you see it and you go, there it is, there, there they are. They have That's names. right. Uh, we we referenced that article in the interview, but unfortunately, we had one caller who uh, didn't want to accept the idea of fluoride being bad for you because uh, I guess he looked at a website that he didn't like. But um, but once again, I hope people will at least start taking a look at that research for themselves if they're not familiar with it, because uh, fluoride is not your friend, and there's all sorts of things that connect uh, some of these big companies like Bear to uh, to some very shady history. Mm-hmm. So James, one more, which will set the stage for the binge and purge from the Los Angeles Times radioactive particles from Japan detected in California kelp radioactive particles released in the nuclear reactor meltdown in Fukushima Japan following the March 2011 earthquake and tsunami were detected in giant kelp along the California coast according to a recently published study radioactive iodine was found in found in samples collected from beds of kelp in locations along the coast from Laguna Beach to as far north as Santa Cruz. 
after uh, about a month after the explosion, according to the study by two marine biologists at Cal State Long Beach. The levels, while most likely not harmful to humans, were significantly higher than measurements prior to the explosion and comparable to those found in British Columbia, Canada, and North northern Washington State following the Chernobyl disaster in 1986. According to this study published in March in the journal Environmental Science and Technology, and no, James, you may not read that research because people much smarter than us have done it all and taken care of it, and we're not allowed to look at the research. Exactly right. I'm sitting here trying to click on the link to open the uh, study, and it's uh, not letting me do so. Oh, how wonderful that is. And uh, and just on that note, for people who don't know, something like 8,000 scientists have now started this uh, campaign to try to get rid of these uh, paywalls for access to articles. But on that note, um, absolutely interesting. I'd, uh, the only question I have is when these samples were taken, because iodine-131 only has a half-life of eight days, so I'm assuming this occurred during the first month or two of the, uh, the crisis when it was still belching out into the atmosphere, but mm. it's still very interesting, very uh, very worrying, not particularly surprising, I think, for people who know what, what was going on there. Uh-huh, and and again, I'm, I'm here in Oregon, and we're just kind of, I guess, bracing ourselves all up and down the west side. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, it continues to be an environmental disaster that we only begin are beginning to understand the scope of. But on that note, let's take a short break. Can our government be competent? All right, welcome back to Corporate Report Radio, friends. We're here on this Thursday night edition of the broadcast, and since it is Thursday, we've been talking to James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com and many other websites besides, but of course you can get the links to all of the uh, excellent websites that James maintains from Food World Order. So I hope you'll go there, and of course the uh, the show notes for tonight's episode will have links to all of the articles that we're talking about, so you can go into them in greater depth. And of course James always puts in all of the links and and uh, links to the studies, etc. So, uh, so you can go directly to the source material. It's an extremely valuable resource. So, I hope you guys out there are making the most of it. And on that note, James, we have a little bit of time left. So, let's binge and purge. <laughs> well, and I think we we almost got busted there talking about the Simpsons during the break. So, our transition from our, our previous story about radiation in California kelp takes us to the top of the binge and purge of beer, bugs, drugs, and more. There is a mural in Chernobyl of the Simpsons and their iconic, you know, Springfield background with the nuclear plant. Street artists take on nuclear industry one year after Fukushima. And James, there's another interesting story about new soft serve beer foam now available in Tokyo. I'd like to say this surprises me, but it does not surprise me in the least. And there's a, a, another update I added that says study makes beer. Uh, study says beer makes men smarter. I guess I need one. That's my <laughs> stumbling over my tongue here. <laughs> so many other things on the binge and purge, James. There's no way I can read them all into the record, but the ones of of bigger note to me. Another 11th and another tragedy. There was a massive earthquake in Indonesia triggering panic, but fortunately no tsunami. And, of course, PM Cameron was there trying to sell weapons, I believe. And, of course, there's always some world leader around when 
tragedy strikes and they're able to grandstand. But yeah, interesting how that works. And yeah, he's uh, on an Asian junket at the moment, selling uh, uh, basically different parts of military manufacturing, and he's got Rolls Royce representatives and things like that with him. So, yep, absolutely, and interesting how that always seems to work out in combination with some of these world leader visits. There's a lot of that going on. Study claims NAFTA led to obesity in Mexico. So there you go. Enjoy our fantastic, uh, you know, free market and all the amazing foods that it can get you. Tobacco farmers claim Monsanto and Philip Morris poisoned them. And this goes to courthousenews.com. And this story takes place out of Argentina. James, I heard while I was at work the other day, just kind of, you know, just out of earshot, I heard someone say, as they grabbed some tuna off the very bottom shelf, well, if it's good enough for Wick, meaning women, infant, children, meaning, I believe we've discussed this, that the women, infant, children, the food stamp, the welfare stuff, is the worst food. And I think it's got to be part of keeping, you know, a part of our overarching kind of class warfare that we see keeping those at that level. Mm-hmm. We also, James, will wrap up on the big pharma notes. Johnson & Johnson fined $1.1 billion, and whooping cough outbreaks higher among children already vaccinated. Yes, imagine my surprise. All right, lots and lots and lots and lots of things for people to go through. We only began to really skim the surface of that binge and purge. So once again, I hope people will go to foodworldorder.com and, of course, mediamonarchy.com, where they can find uh, James's podcast and his own live radio show Friday mornings, 10 a.m. Pacific. That's it. All right. I hope people will tune in. Uh, James, always a pleasure. And we should let people who are listening on the radio know that this will also be available later on on YouTube at Wiki World Order's YouTube. And people who are watching the YouTube can, of course, also go to corporatereport.com and republicbroadcasting.org for the live radio show. So that being said, James, thank you, as always, for your time. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you all tomorrow night.